Nobody ain't got to convince me of what I do. I do what I do because I do what I do because I'm built from something. And man didn't create it. Welcome to the hottest podcast in the Central Valley, Home Team Podcast. Well, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Home Team Podcast. Today, I got a treat for you. Uh, this man has been around Kerman High School and has coached a lot of kids who have come through and made a big impact in their lives, made a big, big impact in the community with the, with the success he had uh, coaching there. He's none other than Coach Jay Pruce. Welcome, Jay. Hey, Bobby, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No, I, I've been waiting for this one. <laughs> 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 so, uh, how you been during this uh, pandemic? Oh, you know, it's been, uh, I guess, had its ups and downs. I guess sometimes when you find out, oh, you're going to work from home. Oh, that's good. But then, <laughs> like, you, you miss that routine. You know, going to work and seeing people and your friends and stuff like that, and 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 uh, you know, it's been, you know, it's been good and bad. I guess I mean, it's, it's bad for everybody having to be home like this, but it's, you know, um, you know, we found a way to make the best of it. So, you know, it's you gotta just, it's all you can do. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. It's uh, I guess it's even especially harder for the kids, huh? Real tough, man. I know it's like my two kids are having a you know a bit of a tough time with it being, you know, my son starting high school. You know, that's the way he's starting high school. And I'm hoping my daughter doesn't have to end high school this way. She's a junior, but you know, it's it's been tough all the way around. Uh you hear the stories from from everybody and and none of it's really good. So hopefully we can get back to normal normal here pretty quick. Yeah, God willing. I keep praying on it. So Jay, uh, tell us a little little bit about your upbringing. You know, growing up. I was, you know, basically born and raised in Sanger, and um, I just was, you know, I grew up uh, involved in sports and just did all those things. You played, of course, you played soccer as a little kid, you know, and then you know basketball, and I got into football, Pop Warner stuff like that. And my dad was a uh, a football coach, and he was a quarterbacking in high school and college he was a really good quarterback at Sanger High and and did well at COS as well and and he became a coach and I kind of just kind of gravitated towards that and I'm I'd go to his practices and things with you know back at like Dinuba and Reedley then I was a ball boy for the Bullard teams in the mid 80s uh you know and um you know coaching is just something that you know I think um that I kind of just became as a result of that. Um, I kind of knew I wanted to be a teacher and coach and, you know, the baseball thing just kind of came about because I think a lot of kids, you know, if, if you're in that, that sort of mindset where, well, my dad was a football player, I'm going to be a football player. It doesn't always work out that way, you know? And, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, baseball would kind of, evolved for me as I grew and um, it started in high school where I was going to, I was going to be cut from the team, from the, <laughs> the freshman baseball team. Um, 
And the sad part is the guy that was the freshman coach was a friend of my mom's taught with her at Ainsworth. <laughs> like it's bad when, you know, you, you know, you're bad when even you're going to, you're going to cut your friend's kids. <laughs> so um, so uh, I, I wasn't the best baseball player. And then, but my, my coach at the time, Lou Irwin, who played professional baseball up to the AAA level. Um, his dad was a longtime scout. Uh, had a World Series ring with the Tigers and I think even with the Twins. You know, they knew their baseball. And um, and Lou saw something in me. And they went, They were discussing who they're going to get rid of and who they're going to keep. And the coach, Tony Velasquez, he was like, man, we got to get rid of Bruce. He's terrible. <laughs> and he's like, a, he plays football anyway. He's a quarterback on the freshman team and stuff like that. And he'll probably just play quarterback whatever and so Lou goes no 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 keep him around because he coached me on Lou coached me on the freshman football team and he goes no 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 keep him he's got you know he's got decent size we'll, we'll make him a pitcher and the, the best thing for me was that Sanger really sucked in baseball <laughs> at the time. so it provided an opportunity for me to play uh, I grew and all of a sudden I went from this skinny kid throwing like 70 miles an hour to like my sophomore year, I'm throwing like 80, 82 miles an hour. And, um, you know, he saw something and that, that really resonated with me. Like, how did this guy know this? Yeah. And like, what, what did he see, you know? And so I really took to baseball and, uh, I gave up football cause, and really at the time that was a down, that was a down period for Sanger High football. Um, and I just didn't see it really going anywhere for me. And like I saw baseball as an opportunity to keep playing. And um, I just wanted to see what I could do with it. And all I tried to do is throw the ball as hard as I could and, you know, hope for the best. And I, I still didn't, I mean, I knew nothing. I didn't know anything. And, and I just pitched and pitched and pitched and I didn't care. How much I threw, whatever, and um, and uh, but it turned into an opportunity to go to Fresno City College and play there. We won a state championship in 1992. I played a very very small role in that because we had some really good guys on that team. But uh, and then it got me to Fresno State, where I was able to redshirt and be part of the program for a year and a half, and I learned a lot. And so I think. Uh, um, you know, the best players don't make the best coaches all the time. And you learn a lot by sitting and observing. So that's kind of what I did. And <clears throat> and as soon as I left Fresno State, I mean, I literally walked out of Coach Bennett's office and, and I went to Sanger High to my cousin and said, I want to start coaching. He goes, all right, let's go. So that's kind of the, the story how it became, I became a baseball coach. Yeah, that's a great story. Um, so you were pretty fortunate to be around a lot of... Uh a lot of people who were very knowledgeable in the game, it sounds like. Yeah, you know, it's like I said with Lou, it's like I didn't even know what he saw in me and he just said, here, do this and do this and, you know, and so I had Lou for three years um, and then he very suddenly resigned about two weeks before the season started, uh, my senior year. And my the old coach, Steve Teal, who was our activities director at the time, took over. And then he brought this different kind of energy, very positive. And not that Lou wasn't, but 
Steve was a big emphasize the positive kind of guy. And then I had my cousin who later became the head coach, Tony Heron, who um, he, he really taught me a lot about pitching and really broke me down and built me back up again as a pitcher. And I learned how to throw properly. I learned how to, to execute my pitches more consistently. Um, and uh, I think combination with that and a young group of hungry kids that really had no expectations uh, we ended up having a pretty good year by our standards. We were 12, like 12 and 12 and 13. I think we made the playoffs, but that team the next year um, rattled off about 19 wins in a row and was knocking off like Bullard. And they, these guys were legit. And they had also had a guy named John Vuxen who threw about 94 miles an hour with a tremendous curveball. that got, he got drafted by the Dodgers. Uh, and he was kind of the, I was like the number one guy as a senior. Then John, he was still kind of, he never really gained a grasp of his pitches control. He still got drafted and did well. But like, I mean, he was filthy for high school and could dominate. But, um, you know, they had guys like that, Jason DeCanio, who played at Fresno State. And uh, like, there was just some guys that were, they really blossomed right after I left. And they became a really good team for a couple of years. And so, um, I like to think at least played a little bit of role in that success later on, even after I was gone, because it was a fun group of guys and they were they were motivated. And what a difference it makes having a coach that comes in and just kind of changes things for for the kids, changes their outlook, and shows them what they can do, you know. And so um, I take a lot of that with how I coached, and it's really easy to sit there and tell somebody what they can't do, but. When you tell them what they can do and say you can be better, um, it it has a it has an impact that just pays off. And it, it to me that that was um, one of my formative things. It was like, oh, he coached him up this way. He told him what to do like this. Okay, that yeah. was big for me. The details, right? Yeah, you see it, and you can tell in your head. You know, oh, this kid, he can't. His footwork is so bad, you know, but okay. He can, he's, he picks the ball up well and he throws it across the diamond. All right. I like how you do this, but let's work on your feet. Cause we can probably get you to the ball better. If you do this and this, Yeah, you can, that, that works a lot better than going, Hey dude, your footwork sucks. Yeah. You know, like you're never going to get to this ball. What was that? That crushes a kid, you know? And so, you know, I think I like to think, you know, that's cause you had coaches. I mean, you know, there's been coaches that they, that's how they coach, yeah. you know? And so it's almost they, they want to try to build off the negativity, but that doesn't always work. And even at the college level, we've seen it. I've seen it, yeah. you know, so. <clears throat> so going back to when you quit football, um, <laughs> how did that, uh, what was your dad's reaction? <sighs> that was a hard thing for me because, I mean, <laughs> My dad was good. I mean, I'll tell you how good my dad was. He got pulled over one time for speeding going down Alta Avenue between Dinuba and Visalia. And <laughs> has nothing to do with football, really, except that he was good. Yeah. He gets pulled over, and the high patrol calls in his license and all this other stuff, and they come back. And my dad's in his car, and he can hear the guy in the back talking. Yeah, I got Proust over here. He's the COS quarterback. What do you want to do about this? He comes up. He's like, all right, well, do you know Tone it down. You're good. You know, just 
just watch what you're doing. Like my dad got off it from a ticket because he was a good quarterback, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and he, he broke a few records and things. And, and, and there's still people to this day that knew, you know, what kind of, you know, player he was. So here I am trying to live up to this, you know, expectation of, you know, being, you know, Fred Proust's kid, you know, and, um, you know, I had a little bit of that going and I just wasn't that good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I just, I couldn't run. I could throw the ball a little bit, but you know, um, so anyway, I, I get to the point where I got to tell my dad, you know, I don't think I want to play football anymore. And the most, it's one of the, the best things a dad could ever say to a kid to me, it was just, he goes, just make sure that you don't regret it. And that, um, I was, I was, I was, I was certain, you know, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so anytime, you know, a kid wants to give up something, you know, and if they give you a good reason for it, you know, you got to kind of embrace that. And, you know, I think I was, I was good with it when, uh, when we, when we had that talk. Um, so, and again, that's one of those things that you kind of, put it in your back pocket as a coach when, you know, if a kid doesn't want to play, you know, um, I had, um, what was it? The, um, 2012 Valley, no 14 Valley championship team, four kids quit from that team. And Isaac Gonzalez was one of them. And I mentioned his name because I'm proud of him and I love him. Yeah. He came to me and he told me exactly why he's not going to play anymore. He goes, coach, I'm just not getting it done. He goes, you've given me the chances. You've, you've shown me what I need to do. And I just feel like I'm hurting the team. Wow. And I don't want to hurt the team. So I think the best thing is, you know, I'm going to go play football in college and said, yeah, he goes, I just want to go work on, you know, football. And, you know, to this day, he's, he's one of my favorite people. And so three other kids came to me, handed me their gear, said, I don't want to play anymore. That's it. Like, it's no way to do it. And, uh, you know, for, for, for Isaac to do that, 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 you know, that was it. And so, you know, if, if you have a good enough reason, you can back it up. I'll totally respect that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I will never look at him as a quitter. And I think, you know, from, from what my dad, you know, told me that day, it was like, you know, I, I never saw myself, you know, as a quitter. Like I saw myself going into something else that I kind of was uh, gravitating towards, yeah. you know? And so, um, it was, it was very similar to that. How, how uh, did you feel the pressure? Did you feel um, growing up knowing who your dad was and how great he was at doing it? And then here you come. I mean, how hard was it to have that, you know, looming over your head? It wasn't a big thing because, like, I mean, there weren't like, <laughs> you know, like I have right now, I got a room full of pictures and things. There wasn't ever any of that. He was very humble about it and he never really spoke about it you know, the kind of player he was and stuff. And so, but you heard from other people, yeah. you're kind of like, Oh, this guy's good, you know? And so, 
I never felt like I had to do this because of that. You know, I never felt that pressure. Um, I felt it was something I wanted to do because I was out there with my friends and it's just a natural progression. You just play sports when you're a kid back in the eighties, you know, and before then, you know, you just yeah. go out and you do this because even if you're not the best guy on the team, which I certainly wasn't, but you're just out there with your friends and that was part of your life. Um, you know, uh, to some kids, it means a lot more than others, just being on a team. And so, you know, for me, it was just a way to be out there with my friends. And, you know, you get you get blasted in practice and you go to school the next day and you, you laugh about it. You know, oh, you got laid out, you know, or whatever. And then you can go back and you do it again, you know, because we weren't, we weren't very good. And so, um, you know, it was it was a it was a tough thing. Our best year was my freshman year and we had a pretty decent year and we had a few wins. And but, uh, you know, it's freshman football and just like freshman sports. These are the guys that don't make the JV team. And but you you form yourself as a team and you get together and you play your best and you do all the team things. And, you know, that meant a lot to me. It was a good year, but uh, it wasn't wasn't my path. So I was OK with it. Yeah, that's good. That's uh, sounds like your dad's a great man, Jay. I, I've never met him, but it sounds like he's a great man. Oh, yeah, he, he really is. And he just, you know, I just I just uh, learned a lot. A quiet leader type, you know, and that's what he that's how he went. And that's still how he does things, too. He'll just my kids go out to the out to the ranch and well, what's grandpa going to make us do today? You know, and he's going to show you the way he's going to show you like. You're going to go fix this. Okay, what do I got to do? Well, you're going to do this and you're going to do this. You know, it's like, and it's just, it's my kids crack up. I, I mean, I crack up at my kids because they come home and they're like, I've been there, man. <laughs> I know what it's like. <laughs> so I want them to have a little bit of that too. It's like, yeah, you're going to go up there. You're going to work a little bit before you play your video games or go swimming or something like that. You yeah. Know? And it's just a little taste of what it was like. Yeah. That never hurts. No, not at all. So how did you make your way out to Kerman? <laughs> um, well, I bounced around a little bit. I wasn't able to get a full-time teaching job because of, um, <laughs> really, it was a really tough time to get, it was a hard time to get a job. And so, especially having a social science degree, um, you know, I wasn't like a math or science guy. So like the history teachers and stuff, those guys are a dime a dozen. And, you know, it was, um, it was tough. I taught, uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. I subbed uh, subbed in Sanger for like five years, trying to get on, trying to get a job, and uh, wasn't working. And I got hired in Riverdale. I taught there full time. I taught community school for two years, so I had these kids that were expelled from school. And again, I learned a lot right there because your initial reaction is, "Oh, these are bad kids." They weren't bad kids. These are kids that got expelled because bad kids were doing things to them. These were kids that had to bring a knife to school. They were getting bullied, you know, but, oh, you brought a knife. You're going to get expelled, you know, and I learned a lot that, um, you know, you don't judge a book by its cover just because the kid's sitting in a, you know, in a portable, you know, a mile away from the high school because they got in trouble for something. It's not a, they're not a bad, it's not a bad thing. So again, learning experience in Riverdale, I got told I had enough baseball experience where you know what? We're going to have you coach JV softball. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I'm going to, you want me to coach softball? <laughs> I tell you what, those girls, they taught me a ton. 
and it taught me a ton about patience, taught me a ton about toughness. Um, it was incredible. And I know you've, you've coached girls too, yeah. and you've, you've coached the boys, you know, and there's, and there's differences and those differences taught me a lot. Yeah. And so I did that for a year and I was like the new guy. I couldn't, I was glad to have a job finally, you know, so like I couldn't say anything. So then my second year I went and coached on assistants on the baseball team. And so then I got let go from Riverdale. I got let go because I straight up fought for my kids. These kids are, it was a bit like Shawshank Redemption. These kids were being told, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, you can get back to the high school. And they did that. They did that. They did that. And then they got, and I had a conversation with the guy who was the principal at the time. He goes, these kids are never coming back. Wow. I said, what? He goes, we'll never have them back over here. I said, you got to be kidding me. You're crushing their hope right now, you know? And I straight up, I didn't care that I wasn't tenured. I didn't care. Like, it was like, you got to be kidding me. And that guy lost his job a couple years later because he did some things he wasn't supposed to. And it was just karma, yep. you know? And I got no problem saying it. And he had it coming. And so, um, you know, I, it sucks, man. It's a bad feeling to see, you know, you sink yourself into helping this group of like eight, 10 kids, you know, and you get close to them every day. You're, you know, you're in the classroom with them all the time and you're the most consistent thing in their lives because their parents are gone working in the fields before, you know, they get out of bed, they get, then they get home and they want to go to bed. You know, you're there all day with them, you know, and to see some, to hear something like that, that hurts, you know? And so then they tell me I'm not coming back. So the first thing I did, I call my dad, I go, I got to let go from Riverdale. And he's, he's like, well, place isn't meant for you. I go, yeah, you're right. It's not. And so here I am trying to find another full-time job again. I get a job in Hanford teaching PE part-time, just scraping by trying to get it, you know, full-time. And so I was driving down to Hanford for a year and a half doing PE. And then I get back and I get put in touch with Kevin Patrick at Reedley High via Sean Hanna. Sean Hanna was the going to be the pitching coach and Sean went, Sean and I were giving pitching lessons. And so at uh, World of Baseball, and he goes, hey, well, KP's got the job at Reedley, so if you want to come out and help, I said, sure, let's do it. So um, I was already living out in Kingsburg at the time, so that was easy. And so um, formed a really great relationship with, with both of them and coached there for three years with Kevin and learned a lot because, of course, Kevin learned a lot from his dad. He learned a lot. We both played at Fresno City College together, so we had the connection with Ron Scott. Yeah. And then he also learned a lot from Mike Batesel because he played for Mike Batesel at Northridge before Batesel came to Fresno State. And he was also a student assistant under Batesel. Mm. So start to see these things come together. Learning under Tony Heron, learning under Lou Irwin a little bit, learning under Steve Teal, learning under Kevin Patrick via James, via Batesel, played at, coach, played at City College, coach a year and a half at Fresno State. So you're getting all these bits and pieces, you know, from all these different influences, you know? So now Kerman comes calling because a friend of mine played horseshoes with Gary Coleman and they're playing horseshoes one night and they're like, hey, Saunders resigned, Tom Saunders. And, you know, he's going to go help coach with Hirschhorn at Fresno Pacific. And so then Coleman goes, well, we got a guy, you know, hey, let's get John Hollett from Soma. 
and they didn't because nobody knew who I it was. They, they knew John Hollett had just started at Selman, did a good job, and so John's like, "No, nah, I don't think, I don't think, uh, I don't think uh, I'm the guy for that job because I just started here." But he goes, "Maybe you should call Jay Pruce. And John was my teammate at Fresno City College and good friend to this day. And he, uh, so they got put in touch uh, with me. He tells Gordon Pacheco, give this guy a call. So Gordon calls me and I said, Kerman, I said, why would, why would I go to Kerman? <laughs> like I'm ten, I was teaching in Dinuba uh, and coaching at Reedley High. I was teaching uh, independent study. And so I was like, man, I got this good gig out here. I go, I don't think I can, it's, it's like a 40 minute drive. And Gordon goes, just come, just come out here and talk to us. I said, okay. So I sat down with um, Anthony Ayerza and Jim Volkoff and Gordon Pacheco and we talked about it and had a really good talk with them. And I really gained an appreciation for Jim, Jim's honesty. Um, Ayers' willingness to take a chance, Gordon's willingness to take a chance, um, you know, just on some guy, you know, and they had never met. And with no head coaching experience, that maybe doing some JV stuff. But um, Jim Volkoff always appreciated an honest answer. And so uh, that's pretty much how the interview went because I really had nothing to lose because if I didn't have, if I didn't get the job, I had a job, you know? Yeah. And so I said, it's going to be this way. And so Jim said, well, we don't have a job for you right now. Would you do this as a walk-on coach? I said, you got to be crazy. I'm not going to drive out here just to be a baseball coach. You know, like if I need to be on campus with the team. And, and, and in order to do this, make it work, make it worth my time. And in the back of my mind, I'm sitting here going, like, you know what? I kind of do need this job because there's health benefits with this. Because my daughter, Megan, had just been born. And... The job I had in Dinuba didn't have benefits with it because it was an hourly job. Although it paid pretty good, like a full-time teacher. Yeah. So now this job's starting to look better and better. Jim Jim goes, what if what if there was a full-time job with this? What if we created a job for you? I said, I definitely would be interested. Jim goes, give me a couple of days, I'll call you back. I said, all right, cool. So he called me back, just like kept his word, like he said. He goes, you know, you're going to teach three periods of world geography and driver's ed and two periods of world history. And you're going to have a period of PE and would you be interested? I said, yeah, I'll do it. So sure enough, that's how I ended up out there. So, um, most roundabout way, you know, and I think, you know, it was, perfect time for me to get a job like that out there. I never saw myself as a head coach. I never really wanted to be a head coach. Um, but I think, you know, just cause you, cause you don't think you are, maybe you are the best guy, you know, yeah. maybe, you know, forces you to be that guy. Cause it forced me to be a guy. I didn't want to be, I didn't, I didn't want to be a head coach. And, um, cause you know how it is being an assistant coach is the easiest job in the world. Uh, yeah. Show up and coach and do your thing, and oh, you, you got a problem with that, mom or dad? Here, go talk to the head guy. <laughs> you know, and it's like you get to go home. And so, I had to be that guy that had to deal with all that stuff. And there, not that there was a whole lot of it, because it really, really wasn't. But um, it kind of throws you into that position where you got to learn how to deal with it. And so, um, and that was that was interesting. 
but it was fun and we had a lot of great support. It really, the job couldn't have really been easier just simply because of the support of the, the players and the parents and the community, uh, the way they backed us, you know, um, you know, I've always, and I, I mean, I hate to tell that because football coach, basketball coach, all the things you've done. It's like when I got hired, my dad was teaching at Fresno High and he told Bob Reyes, who was his principal, he goes, Jay got the current baseball job. And Bob Reyes goes, that's a baseball town. And, you know, I, <laughs> being from Sanger, Sanger's a football town. Yeah. Straight up. <laughs> it's it's, it's <laughs> always going to be a football town. Yeah. And so um, I know what that's like. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a, it is, it is, it's one of the rare baseball towns, you yeah. know? Now did that, uh, did that, um, do you feel like that might've added a little more pressure to the job or, or were you just like, yes, I'm landing in a spot where it's baseball. You know, it goes back to those things with like all those little bits and pieces you take with you. And being that it is a baseball town, it gave me a chance to really get close to a lot of the players and the families because there was such a genuine interest in baseball in Kerman. And like, I, was, I remember like, not so much from my dad, but like, like, cause like when my dad, he would coach at Bullard, but we'd had players from all over Fresno. Yeah. And we had a couple players that live right by Edison high. And so like we would, after a game, everybody gets showered up. I'm the ball boy, so I'm sitting there with my dad, and like they get they get cleaned up, ready to go home. And my dad, we a couple guys hop in the truck, and we drop them off, you know, or by us, and you know, and you learn all those things the coach needs to do to support his players. And I remember hearing from our friends in Merced that that 1990 Merced High football team. Mm. That won the state championship. Uh, a good friend of ours, Dan Church, who was our defensive coordinator. And you hear about the stuff these players are going through. And you're like, these guys just don't get up and go to school and like play football. They have like problems and things. Like, you know, <laughs> and you hear from like Louis Souza, who was the baseball coach. And like, I didn't, I never, um, never saw a coach develop personal relationships like these guys did. Yeah. You know, it just happened to be up there. And I I kind of envied that. Like, I, if, like if I'm going to be a coach, like, I want to know my players that well. Like, I want to be that close with these guys, like, to get to know the ins and outs and know the families, you know. And, you know, maybe to be the guy that comes over for, you know, a barbecue on a Sunday or, you know, just hangs out, you know. And, like, and that's what Kerman welcomed me with. And it's like, this is perfect, you know. And so um, that meant to me as much as anything, you know, being yeah. just being accepted because they didn't know who I was, what I had done. I had done nothing. I had nothing coming in, but I was accepted and I really appreciated that. And that allowed me to accept a lot of these kids, you know, so the support was tremendous. It seems like everything that you endured from high school on through all the jobs, through being let go, and uh, it seemed like every every step of the way, whether it was good or bad, you you sound like you really appreciated the the lesson learned from 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 all of that. And it as we're as we're going on and talking in this conversation, it seems like they were all stepping stones to where you 
to where you are now. Yeah. And really, again, and it goes back to my dad too. Like when I, you know, my dad's like, why are you at Sanger for so long? Why are you staying in Sanger? You know, those first five years. I was like, well, this is where I want to coach. This is where I want to stay. He goes, maybe you need to go somewhere else. Maybe you need to go learn from somebody else. Because I only knew one way. Yeah. And you're in your comfort zone. And all these things took me out of my comfort zone. I, and it, so to, to be able to go somewhere else, like I could have gone, you know, I mean, it could be a lot of places. I mean, there's just people who are my friends that I knew that I could coach with, but <clears throat> to, um, that again, one of the best pieces of advice I got was you got to go learn from other people. And, and it's not just on the field. It's yeah. like, you know, maybe I should just keep my mouth shut about Riverdale, like about, you know, telling the principal exactly what I thought, <laughs> you know, because I think uh, I would have been more diplomatic had I been a little bit more mature and older, you know, but, you know, I'm fired up for these kids, you know, and that's that's what I've I've always been about. And, you know, seeing seeing kids succeed, you know, when they don't feel like they can or they should, you know, that that's that's better than a championship or a trophy or something like that. You know, that's seeing a kid be successful. Yeah. And, you know, I get my hair cut now in, in Fowler by Patrick Rodriguez. He's a former player of mine and uh, he's a barber there. And uh, he'll, we're, I'm in the chair with him and he's like, man, he goes, you were the hardest coach. And, and that was just on JVs. <laughs> like every time we did something wrong, we ran. And like we knew it, you know, and so many times we'd go down and run around that foul pole or run around the water fountain down there. And we're like, everybody's like, we're going to quit. We're going to quit, man. F this guy, you know, you know, and we don't need this, you know, and, but you know what? We kept coming back, you know, and that, and he's like, he, he, he goes, it made us tougher, you know, and, and he goes, man, you, he goes, you yelled all the time. You did all this. It's like, like, oh, you know what? I don't even coach like that anymore. <laughs> like I, I changed, you know, how I did things, but like you did what you needed to do with the team that you had to try to get them successful. Yeah. You know, and, and all those little things. And had I not gone other places, I wouldn't have evolved. I wouldn't have changed. And it, you know, I was just the guy driving the bus. We had a lot of dudes on that bus that could play. Yeah. And I just had to steer them a little bit in the right direction. And so it's it's easy when the talent is there and you're aware of it and you recognize it. And to me, it was just the perfect, uh, perfect situation. We did take our lumps early on, but, yeah. you know, once it kind of came together and you, it was just a perfect, perfect storm of like, you know, parents and help from the administration and the community. Like it was, it was a dream job and I still look at it that way. Now you were, uh, you were the head coach here at Kerman High School for 12 seasons. Yeah. Is that correct? 06 yeah. to 17. And mm -hmm. you, you amassed a, a record of 234, 118, and 6. That sounds pretty close. Sorry, yeah, sounds close. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it, yeah. 
and two Valley Championships. Two. Two Valley Championships and a game outside of several others from what I remember. Seems like you guys got close a couple other times. Oh, yeah, we've been close, man. We've been the number one seed <laughs> several times and didn't get it done. And that was the hardest thing. That was the hardest, you know, because you, everything we did, we worked to get ourselves in that position to win the Valley Championship. And you win the league. That's great. You move on, you push through, and everything still has to go right. And, and there's, there was just, there's just those things that didn't go go our way. We should have won a lot more Valley Championships than we did. Yeah. If you know, in paper, absolutely. And that is a, it's a regret. But when you put it in the context of the time that it happened, everything that it had happened, um, there's not a lot I would change. Like I still feel like we made the right decision to put the guys in the right spots to win and be successful. It's just it's a game. And you're gonna lose a game, you know. It, it's part of it, and so it was really, really tough. Um, my very first year, we were the number one seed, in 2006, and we lost in the first round of the 16 seed. Yeah, and then Kingsbury that we beat three times that year, you know, and on a fluke ball that we missed location with the pitch, the guy we sped a guy's bat up, and he ball hits the third base bag and the guy hadn't hit a hit had a hit off us all year and it drove in the go ahead run it's just one of those things yeah. and you gotta you know you can get there but everything still has to go right so well, and it's all a process uh, it's all a process when you have a team that that, that when you you say you feel the team and that you just have those years that you don't win there's a process of getting out of that that phase to learning how to win and then how long it takes to play through a season, you know, and, and the, uh, keeping the intensity and the tempo and playing to your level, not down to the opponents. And, right. And, and every phase of it is just another learning lesson of, of how to get it done. And can then playoffs is totally different. Like you said, yeah. every, everything still has to go right, you know, and then you still have those moments where, like I said, you know, some comes off a kid's bat and hits the bag and, you know, or, or a routine grounder goes through your best player's legs. You know, you see it happen yeah. at every level, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where you can let it kill you or, uh, you know, it's the baseball gods. <laughs> it just wasn't meant yeah. to be. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things you can I ask Mark Gutierrez because he wasn't there for that first, that loss. But we lost on this little cheap hit that hits the bag. But like three years later, when Dos Palos and LJ Sandoval hits a ball so hard, and I'm coaching at third base, I didn't even react to it. But the kid, this would have driven in the go-ahead and the winning runs. And it gets caught. And it ends the game for us. And I'm like, how do you absolutely smoke a ball like that and have it caught? Like, it's just baseball. And, like, people don't understand all the little things that you do to put yourself into that position and then to lose like that. Like I would go scout games. I learned scouting how important it is from James Patrick because I learned it from Kevin Patrick. We copied their scouting forms. We would 
there were days when I would take off of practice to go scout a team because to me as a head coach, going and scouting the team is more important than practice that day because I have great assistant coaches and they can run it and we can do our batting practice and do our routine or whatever it is we need to do. But if I can go get a bit of info, you know, just like getting that game film for football or whatever, you know, like if you can take the time to break that down, then you're a lot better off. And so like we're trying to strategize and plan for, you know, what we need to do to put ourselves in the best position for playoffs. And there were those games where like, oh, you lost, you lost to Sierra. Oh, you just had a down game. You can't have a down game to Sierra. You can't have a down game, you know, to whoever it was. Like you can't, you know, if you're going to play somebody who's not very good, you got to put a whooping on them to emphasize the fact that you're a good team, you know? And so we never took, we never wanted to take a pitch off and fighting that in high school is one of the hardest things you have to do because kids, as you know, get so complacent just with the lead, just, you know, being comfortable up by a few runs, you know, or whatever. And it's those teams that you let hang around that will bite you and you can't afford to get bit because all of a sudden now you become the two or three seed and now you're going to face that one team, that one seed's ace because of the way the playoffs line up. And there's such a chess match that you got to figure out that you got to play in your head and figure we got to get these guys, you know? So everything we did was in preparation to get that one seed, you know? And I, the vision in my head was a couple years ago when the Patriots won the AFC, whichever year it was. And they have the podium come out on the field to present the AFC championship trophy to Bill Belichick. And they give this little speech about congratulations, Bill Belichick on winning the you know AFC you know championship. Here you go. He just takes it and hands it off to the next guy behind him. He, he doesn't even care about it. <laughs> yeah. you know? He just dished it off. Like, get this thing out of here. I just think so it doesn't even matter. Yeah. You know, that's how like, not that we took league championships or anything like that for granted, because you got to win your league. You got to, these are things you have to do, but to just be, you know, second in something, you know, it was like, ah, no, we're playing for one, you know, we want to get that one, you know? And so that was kind of the mindset like this, none of this other, other stuff matters. Yeah. Except getting that ring, you know, getting that Valley championship and whichever way you get it, maybe, maybe you get there because the number eight seed knocked off the, you know, the, the one by some miracle. And now you got to face a lesser team. So what you put the work in to get there, you know, and you deserve it. So go ahead and get it, you know? And so it, it's just, uh, there was, cause there were, you put in a lot of time, you put in more time than people understand to, to plan and, and, and put yourself there. Well, they just see the time you put out on the field, but not the, the time that you're at home thinking about stuff, planning stuff, you know, getting everything, all the fine details ready for the, for the players, you know, the scout, like you said, the scouting report time and, they don't see mm-hmm. none of that stuff, and that's the stuff that that uh, takes you all the way up to one, two in the morning. Sometimes just thinking, wow. rethinking, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the time you spend with your assistants, and you know the great job that all the guys that I had did. You know that they were they were they were there every day putting the work in because when you know you have something special, you gravitate towards it. And we had something special for a long time. No matter who, what incarnation of the Kerman Lions it was, it, you know, it was these guys always had a chance. And 
I wanted every team we played to know you're getting our best every day. We're not rolling over for you just because, you know, you think, you know, you're not better. You know, you're not better than us. So we're going to take it easy. We're not going to take it easy. Like we're going to, we're going to go and, you know, we, there were, you know, teams that we, you know, beat pretty well. And, you know, we played respectfully. We didn't run our mouths. We didn't talk, you know, crap to their teams. We didn't, you know, even though they might've done it to us, we just wanted to be better. And you're just a blip to us. You might be talking your mouth off right now, but you can go home mad, but you know what? This is just our job. This is how we do things. And that's what I wanted our teams to be business-like, but you know, smart about how they did it, smart about how they approached the game, be prepared, um, understand what's coming, even knowing the umpires. Like, cause I can get the arbiter and I go, okay, we got big Ed behind the plate. We got a big strike zone today. You better go up there swinging it. And the kids would all kind of go, oh my God. You know, but if we had Carlos Salazar thrown, we're like, all right, yeah. we're going to rack up strikeouts here. Cause we got 96, 98 miles an hour, the big zone, <laughs> you know? And so like, I mean, I, I don't know how many other coaches did it, but like we, we would basically scout umpires, you know, and this guy has a tight zone. This guy has a big zone. This guy calls the pitches away. This guy does this. And, you know, or this guy, you can't talk to him. He's going to, he'll, you know, he'll, you say something, he's going to shrink up that zone. You yeah. cannot say something. And so the kids already knew, okay, they knew this team. They knew what this guy throws. We knew how to pitch to these guys. We know the umpire, what their zones are. And there's, yeah, all this preparation goes into this. And, you know, that was, it's all part of the job. So tell me about the first year you guys won your, the first Valley Championship. Uh, take me up to the last inning. <laughs> and uh, we were, the opponent was batting. They had their last at bats. We, that was against who? Remind Baker, me who it was. Bakersfield Baker Christian. Christian. Yeah. <clears throat> and... I think the one thing I need to do is give credit to those guys because, um, you know, a lot of people look at us, oh, you guys are D4. You don't play anybody. No, 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 no. I mean, we had Carlos Salazar, by far the best player on our team, best player in, you know, the state yeah. 2012, 13, you know, whatever it was. But they had um, their pitcher was going to Cal Poly, D1 school. Their shortstop was the cleanup hitter for USC for three years, mm. and uh, AJ Ramirez, and uh, and then Casey Bloomquist was the pitcher. This was no slouch. These dudes, these guys could play, you know, and so that was one of the hard parts for us. Was like, okay, this team's kind of the team of destiny because we had a lot of good players and we had Carlos, but it doesn't. It's not going to matter much if we don't win a valley championship. Now we got to face Casey Bloomquist, AJ <laughs> Ramirez, you know, like these guys, these are dudes, you know, and they're legit ball players. And so, um, well, it was like facing another team that of destiny in the, you know, at yeah, the, yeah, 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 very much for them because, um, I think they had won it the year before they, they had knocked us out, um, before. And so this was our chance to get back. And so, and they were, they were good. And so, um, well coached, uh, very, had a ton of respect for the team, the players, even their dads, like the parents, 
they would email me, you know, and go, Hey, congratulations. And you guys did a great job. And like, they would give us, they give us a few scouting reports. They respected us and then we respected them, you know, and, um, good people. Mm-hmm. And so <sighs> leading up to this one, uh, you know, we, we had six and two thirds innings for Carlos to pitch. Um, little did I know bear Montero, who was the starting pitcher that game, uh, bear had a hairline fracture in his back. Wow. Cause I think these knuckleheads were going to like skywalk or whatever it is. They're jumping on those trampolines and he did something and he hurt himself and he's like, ah, oh, my back hurts. You know, I go, Hey bear, we need one out because we got Chuck for the rest of the game. Can you get one out for us? Just start the game. You know, and we'll put you out in the outfield or whatever. He couldn't even play the rest of the game. He like he like I, I didn't know the extent of the injury. Yeah, we knew what it was. We thought he had like a pulled muscle. So he's like, "Yeah, I can go." You know, so he comes up, and Ricky Sotil was the leadoff hitter for uh, Bakersfield Christian, a good hitter, and um, he hits an absolute laser down the left field corner off a of bear, and I'm like, "Oh man." We got to get one out, like just get an out. <laughs> and Big Show Christian didn't know this, that, you know, really, truly what our strategy was. Yeah. But, um, the next guy comes up and just hits a ground ball to the second baseman and gets an out. So it moves Ricky over to third base. Here I come. Boom. Let's go, Carlos. Let's go. You know, and they had that was their best opportunity of the game was to to score was in the in the top of the first and and Chuck struck out the next two guys and left them hanging out there and then we kind of had the momentum from there we put a couple runs across um, we had a play I want to say in the fifth or sixth inning where and this is something we practiced and it's one of those rare things where you on a bunt play where you know you get the out at first but you we always told our first baseman throw to second base they move the runner over but throw to second base because a bad base runner could overrun that bag and we might just get him yeah. and it might it might just be where he just over runs it for a minute so danny lopez playing first base always fired the ball all over and so one of the things and i learned this from john hollett at selma is that that's how what that's what he did back when we played together at City College, and so they bunt a runner over, potential tie and run, and uh, Danny throws behind, and uh, we nail him. We nail the runner. He got off a few steps off the bag. He rounded the bag. That just killed our momentum, and so that takes us to the last inning. So um, I don't know how the first two outs went. I don't even really remember. I think they might have been strikeouts because it was Carlos. But he ended up striking out the last batter, and that's where, like, just all the pressure came off. Like, it, it just like, okay, we got this. You know, first championship in 40 years, uh, and I just kind of stood there. And we had the video from the dugout. Like, I didn't go any, I didn't run out there or anything. I just like, uh, you know, just kind of soaked it in. I wanted to watch our guys dogpile on our field. Yeah, you know, that was my reward. Just for me, that's my celebration, just seeing it, you know? And I see my brother-in-law, Tyler Moore, go out there and jump on the pile and he, he crushed about <laughs> half the team <laughs> jumping on him. But, you know, it was great because he was a lion too and he deserved yeah. it as well. You know, he played 
for some good teams too. And, and, and he deserved every bit of that dog foul, just like the players. And so, um, you know, and that just made it all, you know, that much better. So, uh, just the feeling that you finally got it done because we lost it in 2010 to Washington Union, who we had beaten, you know, three times that season, two or three times. And, you know, they beat us. It was a, it was kind of a flashback to losing to Kingsburg in 2006. And it's just like, is it ever going to happen? You feel like the Buffalo Bills, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's like you get there, but you don't get it done. Yeah. So seeing that whole thing happen, um, just that was that was great and then getting to your second one how much different was was any preparation any different getting to the second one or do you maintain the same uh the same uh you know work ethic as far as coaches how you guys did things it was all the same stuff but the the beauty of it was we had some guys from the previous team we had evan sagarbella and we had Andrew Flores. Those guys were both on that team that had won it. And they were both called up as JV guys at the end of the year, but they, they were there. And, um, you know, we, it was a completely different group of guys. And no one expected us to do anything because all you heard was about Carlos. And we lost a real tough one in 2013. Um, and we thought 2013 was the year, you know, and it wasn't. And then 14 rolls around and we just, you know, with guys like Evan, Ryan Potter, you know, Andrew Flores, Adrian Flores, these, you know, or not, it was, Adrian was on that team, but, um, you know, we had young guys and Eddie Rodriguez coming in and Isaiah Daniel and, 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 uh, just the, the things that happened to, to make it work, you know, it was unbelievable. We had, um, we were almost done from the start. I mean, in that year, we set a school record for wins. Um, we had an opening playoff game against Liberty, our league rival. And Evan, who we thought was just going to cruise against them, all of a sudden struggled a little bit, a couple walks, maybe base hit. He's got like bases loaded and nobody out. And um, he ends up getting a couple of outs and then they come up with this big lefty that crushes a ball off of Evan into right field. And then there's Nick Chambers, who's just a freshman at the time. Nick Chambers, a little freshman playing right field, has the presence of mind to come up firing. He actually threw the guy out at first base to force to to force force him out. Yeah. So the run coming in from third doesn't count. And we have and, and, uh, Nick's dad had John had it on video from first base, and the first base coach for Liberty's like, "What just happened?" Like, like he was like, you know. And so, I mean, it's just it just goes to show because I did, I had Nick as a freshman, but these guys, the guys that coached him before, all the way through, taught him how to be heads up, taught him what to do, you know. And it was those you don't practice throwing a guy out at first, you know, and and rarely even when they come up. The kid is so amped up that he throws the ball away or does something wrong with it. And that killed Liberty right there. And we went ahead and won that game. And I, I don't think we gave up an earned run for all the playoffs, you know? And Evan pitched great. Ryan Potter pitched great. These guys were unbelievable. And 
it's because they had been in positions of adversity before. Evan was the guy that had to go in and catch Carlos Salazar as a sophomore, never caught him before in his life. But when Nick Flores got hit in the head with a pitch and couldn't catch anymore, I just said, Evan, go. And he's like, oh crap, you know, he's gonna, <laughs> you know, he, he went and did it. And, and it, it was all kind of the culmination of dealing with adversity. When you got to go in and never catch 96 miles an hour before against Clovis High, you know, um, you know, all of a sudden pitching in the Valley Championship against Golden Valley, and then not to minimize it, but it's like, no, I've been here before. You know, I can, I can beat these guys, yeah. you know, they were, they were a good team, but I had the confidence in Evan, like, you know, they had a couple runners on in the seventh inning against him. I wasn't getting anybody warm in the bullpen. Didn't matter. They weren't going to get him because they had the bottom of the order coming up and like, there's no way. Yeah. And those feels you have as a coach, you know, we're like, they're not going to get him. And if they do, I'll own it, but there is no way. So, um, you know, it's a credit to him too. And that, that team, that was a surprise, you know, coming out of nowhere like that. I didn't want to like, we we're like 28 and four or something like that. And, you know, it was, uh, it was an incredible year and the energy that guys like Eddie brought and the calm of Isaiah Daniel behind the plate, you know, that type of thing, Aaron Walker out of nowhere, cause he didn't play like his first couple of years, you know, he just, and all of a sudden he's playing first base for us and, crushing balls, you know, DeMarco Ramirez, you know, holding it down at, you know, second base and these guys, and they all were versatile too. You can put them anywhere. Yeah. You know, they didn't have an ego like, well, I got to be the shortstop or I got to be this guy, you know, and, you know, Eddie Rodriguez wanted to play, he wanted to pitch as much as he played short. It was like, you're too valuable at shortstop, you know, you can, you know, but I had enough faith if I put Eddie on the mound, I could put Evan at shortstop, you know, and Evan would hold it down just fine. You know, and having that is great. We were never really, you know, shorthanded in that sense. And Potter could pitch pitch and play outfield and play infield. And, you know, so it was it was nice to have. That was a fun like, group. That was a fun group to watch. Definitely. Where they were they were uh, they were uh, something else. <laughs> oh, they were. And they're all characters. And that's yeah. the thing is like we all, you know, I mean, they're high school kids and they're going to have their little you know, maybe little beefs with each other every now and then. But like when it came time to practice, we practiced and we were a team and we pulled for each other and we were just a bunch of knuckleheads. And I was every bit of much, uh, 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 as much knucklehead as these guys. And you kind of have to have that little bit of crazy in there, you know, and just let the players know that, Hey, you were there as a player too. You were, you know, you've done this and you know, you got to establish that trust. And it, it goes from the, top guy to the bottom guy to the guy who maybe doesn't even hardly play as much, but like maybe they chase more foul balls than they, you know, get innings, but like they're there for a reason. You know, yeah. everybody adds to that team dynamic where, you know, you've got a role and you add to that culture of the team. And even if you know, that's just in a supporting role there, that's just as important as anything. Um, you know, I don't have, better relationships with guys like Carlos or Adrian Flores or, you know, you know, Andy Flores or what, like just, you know, Ryan Potter, because they were the better guys on the team, Evan, like that. I mean, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> these guys know if you played for me, you can come to me anytime and which some of these guys do. And, 
you know, there wasn't anybody more less, you know, as a person important. Yeah. I think that goes a long way knowing that you, you let each guy know their worth, even though um, the playing time might always be there. And that's, yeah. that's a huge. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I was glad you got that second one. Cause I know as a coach, you start, you know, <laughs> you start hearing, you know, well, you had Carlos. That's you it. Know, and right. Then, how's life after Carlos? What do they do after Carlos? You know? And it was, it was like, okay, you know, uh, I knew it was there, you know, just from the coaching standpoint, you know, you, you know, that's when you have a player like him and the impact he brought to the program. Mm -hmm. And then when they're gone, it's like, you know, what, you know, what now, you know, let, let's see yeah. what, what, what's the, what are you going to do now? Are we going to be, are we going to be competitive without him? You know? And <clears throat> so it was nice to see you get that second one when he wasn't there. That one, um, I mean, you don't want to say it's more important um, because they're all important and they're, they're, you know, it's just as important to the guys on the, on the 12 team as you know, cause that's maybe that's the only one they got. And so that 14 team, that was validation. That was validation that we've been doing the right things. And that's the one I think that as a coach, you really appreciate because it, it just when it was you, you you know what people are thinking oh well he's got this guy he's got this guy well if they don't win they suck you know it's got to be the coach's fault yeah. you know well we didn't have hardly any of those guys because the guys that were on that team in 12 that were on the team in 14 they didn't hardly play in 12 they were in for defense late inning replacement type of thing you know or whatever like so <clears throat> Um, you know, that, that was validation. That was the one that I think as a coach, I kind of needed, you know? Um, so, uh, I just wish we could have had more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you should have, you definitely should have had, uh, enough for one whole hand in the thumb. Yeah, I, would, I definitely <laughs> agree with that. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the opportunities were there. What would yeah. uh, who would you say the best player was that you coached in those in those twelve years? Oh, I mean, there's it's easy. The easy answer is Carlos, you know, because of his talent and his ability and the kind of person that he is, mm -hmm. and the person he still is today. He's he's texting me tonight, you know, and we still stay in contact. And but you know, the seasons that these guys had, the Walker twins, um, what what they meant to me and hopefully what I meant to them is they've been through a lot. Um, Alan Sandoval, the, the years he had and just the, um, Alan was the start of the, the next generation of things. Cause I lost that whole team from my first year. I lost basically tw 10 of the 14 guys cause they all graduated. And Alan came to me as a freshman in my class like in like September and here's this little freshman kid coming up to me going uh, Coach Bruce um, when is uh, tryouts for baseball because I want to be on varsity mm. I'm like and I knew Alan, I actually gave Alan pitching lessons at World of Baseball and I laughed I'm like Alan I go it's going to take a lot 
you know, to make the varsity team. And in the back of my head, what I forgot was, no, dude, you lost everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, you know, well, if you work hard, you know, and you, you know, you get a chance, you know. Oh no, he was like our best player practically on that team that year because yeah. we had lost everybody. I had Kevin Richards. He was the only sophomore in the program during my first year. We had no sophomores. We had nobody to fill these gaps. We had people playing varsity baseball that hadn't even played high school baseball yet. Mm. And so, you know, we took a few lumps there. And Alan, um, he was confident in himself at a young age he still is confident in himself at, at, at the age he is now he's seen that confidence pay off at madera south with the job he's doing and i couldn't be more proud of him um and so it's 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 just it's one of those things where the confidence feeds yeah off to him to these other guys like okay we're not okay we're not, we're not that good right now but we're gonna be better you know and so I can't pick a guy because it's like, you know, there's the the stuff that, you know, Eddie brought and Evan brought and Ryan Potter brought the walkers. Like I said, Mario Garza, Adrian Flores, like all these guys. Um, I just, uh, you know, Nick Flores is our catcher. You know, he just um, the attitude, you know, uh, that he brought the confidence, cockiness, you know, um, that some of these guys had that you have to have Corey Kerber. This kid was leaving baseball practice and tournament games as a freshman. Cause he goes to bass fishing tournaments. Yeah. <laughs> and Mark, Mark, Mark Gutierrez was his head coach. He's like, you know what? If you come to me and say, you're going to go bass fishing at a tournament instead of playing baseball, you know, actually I'm okay with that. <laughs> Cause that's something, you know, you're going to do the rest of your life and he still is. And so, but you know what? He led our team in on-base percentage in 2012. Uh, he got hit by pitches. He found a way. You know, he really toughened up and, uh, you know, matured stronger. I mean, toughened up, I mean, by like, getting physically stronger. He, because um, he was always mentally strong. He always had, one thing he always had was confidence in himself. So, like, there's so many guys in, in, in their own way. They, they, they carried us. Yeah. And so, you know, it's Ramon Chavez, you know, Dr. Ramon Chavez, I should say, yeah. you know, he's a guy who was four foot nine coming into high school, graduated six foot three, you <laughs> know, and he just shot up and, you know, you know how he was in basketball too. He's that quiet yeah. guy that is a student of the game that plays the smart game that, you know, that it is just always it all factors in. How about uh best team? Man, now it's going to be a tough one because there's really it's the the 2010 team that didn't win a Valley Championship, the 2012, the 13 team, the 14 team. Um, it there's varying degrees to it because we toughened our schedule as we went along, and we still won games. So like we won my last year uh, in 17, we won the Central Championship, the tournament, and they you know they didn't want to come play us and um they were just happy just not to have a champion that year and like no we're gonna play this and we beat central and you know they were they were good yeah but we threw a little maddie Bersenio out there and here's another guy you know little knucklehead throwing knuckle balls <laughs> and those guys couldn't stay back on him and you know we loved maddie's uh confidence carefree attitude 
Um, whatever happens, happens. You hit it, so what? You know? And he's just, I'm gonna go out there and do my thing, you know? And it's like, you just love guys like that. So, I mean, that's a tough call because you could look at wins and losses and who won more games and who, you know, that, that 2014 team, you know, they were great and they won a ton of games. You could put them right up there with everybody else. But I mean, I don't know if I had to play somebody against each other, I don't, it's still gonna be hard to hit Carlos, you know, if you had to face him. Oh, so it's, it's hard to really, you know, say exactly. How about the most memorable moment? <sighs> oh, there was a lot, and um, I think just probably winning that first Valley Championship, just the feeling that you had, because it's a feeling that you never had before, because I never won one. Yeah. And so there's, there's something new and fresh to that, that rush of adrenaline, and that rush of energy, like we did it finally, you know, and all these people here get to watch us, you know, and having to play in Visalia spoiled it a little bit because I never thought we should have had to go to Visalia to play for a championship because we earned the right to play at home. And, um, you know, that was, that was great. That was great. I was so excited because we, I was so excited for those kids. Um, and, uh, but, I guess you could say those, you know, those moments, but you don't forget the Clovis high game. You in front of 3000 some people oh, like yes. you don't. It's, it's one of the biggest games in Valley history. I mean, lots of Valley championships get won, but there were people coming from like Paso Robles, Los Banos, like scouts, you know, that were in the audience watching two high round picks face each other um, at a 10 a.m. game on a Wednesday, you know? And to me, that was special as well, to be a part of that, just to soak that in too. So there's a few times. So I would say biggest game in Kerman history. I'm sorry, say it again? Would that be considered biggest game in Kerman history? Well, that was, that was Hoosiers. That was David versus Goliath, you know? And you had that one chance with that one special team, you know, to, to face these guys and have a chance to knock them off. And, you know, I think they were state champions that year too, you know? Um, and to, to be able to face a mentor of mine, James Patrick, who my son's now playing for his son and the friends I had on that staff still have, you know, those guys, um, you know, that's a lot of what we did is because of what Clovis has done. Yeah. Uh, the way we went about things. And so I don't think a lot of people know that, but um, I know they didn't want to play us. <laughs> they weren't excited about it because they had everything to lose and we still had everything to gain, even though we lost. But it helped, you know, show people what the kids in Kerman are capable of and no matter what sport it is yeah. and it you know that's the heart you got the heart of the lion that's the way that they go out there and play every game no matter what sport it is yeah and so that's what i really um i liked about kerman is that there's you know they're going to give you their best it doesn't it doesn't matter and it 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 
Um, that was the one game that represented Kermit, not just uh, Kermit High Baseball. Yeah, I would agree. Now, uh, what do you remember about your last game coached? <laughs> I remember we lost. And I remember <laughs> it was a hard, hard-fought battle against a really good team, the team that won the Valley Championship. And that was against Highland. And that was... That was that was a that was a bittersweet thing for me um, because when I was a sophomore back at Sanger High, uh, we played. We were fortunate enough to play in the Easter Classic. We got all four games at Biden Field. How little Sanger, whatever at the time. I remember Coach Irwin going, "We got four games at Biden Field." I was like, "Wow, that's cool, you know, great." And so I got to start against Highland and Highland wasn't a very good team at the time, but I just threw the ball. Like I said, as hard as I could, I tried to just hope for the best. And I threw a no hitter at Biden field Mm. against Highland. And, and so to me, and, um, uh, so then my last game was against Highland and it turns out, I wish it wasn't, but, you know, we went down to their place and, and uh, Tomas Camargo, one of the best pitchers we've had in the program. Uh, great kid. Pitched great. We made some mistakes. We made some errors. We got a little bit out of our element. We got, it was tough. It's a tough place to go down there and play and win. And, and um, they had good, they had a good team. And so, um, you know, we lost. And, uh, it didn't really it didn't really sink in like I knew I was done no matter what I wasn't coming back anymore if that's where it ends that's where it ends and so I had already made my peace with the fact that I wasn't going to be a baseball coach anymore so um, it was going to end at some time I wish it would have ended with a dog pile yeah. in Visalia but was that known or was that something you kept to yourself you know, cat was already out of the bag. Like I had already kind of like, I wasn't going to, I knew at the beginning of the season, I wasn't going to coach anymore, but I wasn't going to let that be the distraction. Um, I didn't tell anybody. No one knew. Um, I guess there were little hints and things. Cause I had to do things like I had to tell Gordon Pacheco. I had to tell Pam Selleck. I had to tell these, my administrators, I go, I'm not coming back anymore. You're going to have to open this job up. I don't want anybody to know. And not that they let anything out, but there were just certain things that had to be done. And so probably about halfway or so through the year, I can't remember exactly what day it was or when it was, but like, I'm like, I'm not, this is my last team, you know? And some guys were shocked and some guys were kind of like, I had a feeling, you know, that was how it's going to be, you know? And so then, um, the rest of the year, the re- our coaching staff and the guys did whatever they could to try to get me to cry because <laughs> it was coming to an end. And they all did a good job of that. They all had a laugh at that. They knew they could get me. Mm-hmm. And so they would. And so, um, you know, there are just things that the plaque I was given in the last game, last home game, we knew it was going to be the last one and stuff like that. And, you know, there's just, there's all that stuff. And so a lot of the emotions had already kind of, gone away 
you know, in terms of that, I mean, it didn't make it any less special or anything, but like it was, it was a little anticlimactic, but yeah. you know, you can't, the one, I guess the one last thing would be to, you know, go out exactly how you want to, but I'm happy with the fact that I was able to say, um, I went out on good terms. I went out, you know, coaching the way I want to coach. I didn't let anybody dictate how my ending was going to be, you know, and not a lot of people get to do that. That's for sure. So, you know, it's, it's nice to have, you know, cause yeah, there was a couple of times I had been told you're not coming back. You're not going to do this anymore. Um, I left on my terms and to me that was, um, as important as anything else. Yeah, I, I know you were uh, your tenure there. I don't know. I, I don't know if you remember one time I had a conversation with you about. I think I thanked you after the first Valley Championship when the you know our city of Kerman was going going through some tough times with uh, a couple of uh, unfortunate events in the community. You know the passing mm -hmm. of of, of uh, one of our employees, and then you know stuff. Yeah. And I remember thanking you for giving us something to take our minds off of, you know, all the stuff that was going on that was bad, and giving us something to look at, look forward to, and and celebrate instead of just be mourning and being, you know, in the news for bad stuff all the time. And yeah, and uh, it was the program was definitely a bright spot the entire time that you were the head coach and. I always appreciated the way you coached them. You know, I always made my way out, listened to your your speeches when you were in the dugout at practices. Sometimes when I was out there painting or, or uh, you know, just helping get the field ready for you. Right. But um, uh, I myself as a coach, listening to how you your man mannerism and how you uh, held the team accountable and how you coached. You know, I I learned some things from you. I also learned who you were, you know, and 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 how you like doing things, and and uh, and even tonight, you know, I learned a lot more about about who you are and 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 your upbringing, and and uh, I just have a lot more appreciation for for who you are, and not that I didn't have enough already, but um, I wish you you now you would have stayed and coached twenty more years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well i really you know i i really appreciate everything you've done for us too because you're you know from the baseball standpoint you're you're one of the behind the scenes guys too because you're out there helping the field you know get ready if the, if a pipe broke like the time sean chambers busted the pipe you know like i'm calling you or you know it's like we're we got to get somebody out here to fix this thing you know and and so it wasn't the first time that it happened but you know uh you guys, you guys put your heart and souls into, you know, making sure that the kids were ready to play every day because I can get them ready to play as players, but to get the field ready and to get it chalked and the time and the effort you guys did, you know, to make our jobs easier, that, that goes a long way because <laughs> there's, you don't get that everywhere. And so, um, and I, coming from Reedley where we had a guy who basically worked against us uh, <laughs> for, for getting the field ready. Um, you know, it, it meant a lot the job you did and Bill and everybody, you know, to, to, to help make sure, you know, that, cause we're, we're on display, 
Yeah. You know, Kerman's on display. And so everybody always complimented us on the field, the quality of the field. Um, you know, dugouts were always clean, you know, all the, you know, just this, this whole setup, you know, the sound system, every, the, the atmosphere that was created just by the setup of stuff and the, you know, the, the different ADs, the, they all knew what we had to do to make it work, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and you're a big part of that too. So I really appreciate, you know, everything you did for us from, from that standpoint. So yeah, thank you. No, I appreciate it. And, uh, um, you guys, and you end up getting me a, one of, one of Valley championship rings. Uh, and it has, I think a little lawnmower or some push mower on, on it for being the field crew. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, so no, we gotta, you know, you, 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 you take, you gotta take care of the people that take care of you, you know? So that was pretty sweet. So now that you're off in greener pastures, <clears throat> what does life have you doing right now? <laughs> oh, it's a different kind of coaching. It's not coaching at all, but we're making candles, my wife and I. And it it kind of hit me tonight. You know, we we take um we take soy wax. So we take soybeans turned into wax and we make them into candles and we recycle wine bottles. And it, it really kind of goes along with the coaching because there's a lot of unpredictability. There's a lot of testing you got to do. There's a lot of failure you're going to have. But in the end, if you could see our product, what we have um, to start with, we start with these flakes, flakes of wax. Mm. And you take them when we put them, we apply heat to them. That's like taking these raw players. You put them, you apply this heat and you melt them down and you turn them into something solid, you know? Mm. And it, that's kind of, I hadn't been able to quite talk about like the, put into words what it was, what we we're doing. But to me, there was always something very satisfying about taking this raw material and turning it into something. Yeah. And if you talk to Chrissy, she laughs at me because every time I cut a bottle with the saw, if it doesn't go right, I get mad. Like that's a loss right there. You know, it's like not like a loss in money, but a, like a loss of something that could be could have been something special. Yeah. You know, and I think as a coach, you you always want to see every player be successful. You know, and so it, it it just in a really weird way it carries over that level of competition carries over into doing this. And um, but just when I think I have high standards. She's got higher standards. She's <laughs> she's sitting there looking at the bottles and she's looking at the glass and she's checking it out and like, hey, can we fix this? Can we fix this? So she's making me better. She's like, she's she's taking it and going to a different level just because, you know, here I am, the old coach that tried to get the best out of people. Like now she's getting best out of me. And it, it's so I'm like, I'm learning from her. She's this elementary teacher that does a great job with her kids. <laughs> and I know the job that she does. I listened to her teach for two weeks while we're on home quarantine here for a while. And I'm like, I can't believe you do this every day. Cause it's like the dedication that you have. It's not that I pity it or anything. It's like, it's, it's, like, it's amazing. And so um, it's, it's a fun, relaxing thing to do together. Um, and it makes people happy. So 
you know, we've had a lot of good reviews and I appreciate your support in the whole thing too, because you've enjoyed the candles as well, but it's just about, you know, taking something and turning it into something that people can enjoy, which I think we did with our teams, you know? Yeah. So it, 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 there's a definite parallel to the, however weird coaching and candle making, they do go, they do go together. Yeah. So <clears throat> coaching's all over with. You're, yeah. uh, you're, you're, you're getting turned into a candle master, um, <laughs> at, at, at the, <clears throat> your final days when you're, well, you're, you're long, you're done and gone. And someone crosses, come across your name, Jay Proust. Uh, what, what, what do you want them to say about you? Oh man, that's a great question. Cause never really thought about that. Like, it's just, you know, I just, it, I want people to maybe know that, you know, I had a high standard for, you know, success and that um, I wanted people to be successful. So that's forces you to have a high standard. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, uh, you know, I understood faults of people that you could take them and make them better because that's what people did with me so um yeah never really thought about that one but um you know just just wanted to show them that they could uh through baseball be successful and no matter you know what it was they went into in their lives like they you know, a little bit of what we did helped make them successful. So that's, that's really what it's all about. Yeah. So. Well, I believe anything they ask anybody is going to be positive. Um, I've, I've seen nothing but positive from you. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm, I learned a lot more about you today and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, pretty geeked up because of some of the stuff you know some of the stuff you shared and uh where your character comes from and and uh and like you said just the adversity that you had to go through you know and how you how you handled it and like I said it seemed like you you I'm sure it upset you when you lost those jobs and and, and, and you left those places but it was it was you appreciated the stops you know and there's very few people that i come across that that i feel you know go through adversity endure the stuff and come out the other side better they don't let it rot them inside and and then uh and they share their experiences and they love mm-hmm. doing that and they love nurturing and growing you know these young boys into men and getting them ready for life and that's certainly something i've seen you do and oh, you're, you're an asset to Kerman, not only the community, the high school, uh, you know, as a coach, as a as a employee there, as a friend. Um, I can tell you one thing, you know, thank you for everything that you've done. I think you're an outstanding person, Jay. I really appreciate it, Bob. Thank you. It means a lot. And before we go, you want to shout out your your candle business name? Oh yeah, yeah. It's a uh, turn two candles. Uh, turn the number two candles, and we're on uh, 
Facebook and Instagram right now. We will have our own website soon. Uh, and hopefully we're nationwide here shipping and things like that. We've already been doing a little bit of that, but um, you know, that's uh, it's been fun. So I appreciate the opportunity to get that mentioned out there too. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on, Jay. I appreciate it. And uh, for all you listeners out there, uh, holiday season's coming along. So uh, support local. You know where you get your candles, your scented candles, if you want. They're great. I'm a, I'm a customer, and <laughs> uh, I enjoy all the candles that I've bought, and they're a great product. And uh, once again, Jay, thank you for coming on. Right on, Bobby. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap on another Home Team Podcast. Thank you to all the listeners who tuned in tonight. Special shout out to our supporters. Kerman Subway Sandwich, located in the Kerman Plaza Shopping Center, open seven days a week for all your sandwich needs. Also, Kerman Car Wash, located in the Kerman Plaza Shopping Center, the only drive through car wash in town. And finally, Home Team Printing, 14 years of excellent service in Kerman. Contact number is 559-352-9259 for all your screen printing needs.